Welcome to Pivotal. I'm Hayat Gallo, Corporate Vice President for Commercial Solution Areas at Microsoft. I work with customers around the globe to transform their business through technology. At the center of every transformation are people who give technology its purpose. They are the ones who spark visionary ideas for leveraging technology. And they have the drive to push them forward for their business while empowering others. We like to talk about technology. I love to talk about it. And we often forget the heroes behind technology and transformations. You, we forget you. And that's what I want to talk about through Pivotal. Today, we're speaking with Rachel Hyam, the Global CIO Information Officer of WPP. Based in the UK, WPP is one of the leading marketing and communications company in the world and home to some of the world's largest advertising and PR firms. It operates in over 110 countries with clients like Google, Coca-Cola, Dell, Hasbro, and NBC Universal. You might remember the famous ad displaying a moldy burger. It made waves in 2020 and was a memorable way for Burger King to stand out from the rest of the fast food industry, proclaiming they no longer use preservatives in their food. That bold ad campaign was the creative work of agency under the WPP umbrella. In their role as CIO, Rachel has been tasked with simplifying IT infrastructure across 40 different IT groups and 2,800 agencies. Her leadership philosophy is rooted in human-centered design principle, which is why I wanted to hear from her. A human-centric IT overhaul for such a global company requires a leader with very diverse experience, someone who can drive change with many stakeholders. And that's Rachel. I've spent 20 years following a squiggly career route from accountancy into technology, starting my tech career as a business and then systems and test analyst, becoming a project and program manager, before leading application development teams, infrastructure and networking teams, being a chief architect, a divisional CIO, and then finally ending up as a global CIO. Her work has allowed her to travel all over the world. I've been lucky to live and work across Europe, Asia, North and South America, and I've worked in both financial services and then telecoms. Of all the places she's lived, Chile stole her heart. I think the combination of the epic landscape, environment and wildlife, uh, the, the people who have a fusion of religions and cultures um, and the, 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 the deep um, appreciation for family, for, for tradition, fused with an ambition for the future. It's just a a magical country. And while her career has been focused broadly on technology and financial services, her latest role as CIO of WPP also engages her other interests. I'm passionate about all forms of creativity and storytelling. I've been on the boards of four art charities. My wife is a sculptor and my happy place is experiencing a great exhibition or production. One of the most memorable um, art exhibitions I've seen recently was a photography exhibition at the International Centre of Photography in New York, where uh, you saw photographs of famous photographers just taking ad hoc photos of their friends. uh, And they told a a very different story because they weren't curated or edited in the same way, um, but were really telling very personal stories hidden behind their own cameras and their own artistic practice. So for this next step in my career, I decided to combine that passion with a job I love by moving into the creative industries and WPP. And it was a fantastic move. I'm now inspired every day by the creative outcomes we produce for our clients. 
When Rachel joined WPP, the company had never had a global IT organization. She was tasked with bringing together 40 IT groups to serve 2,800 agencies. So the only way to start, really, was by undertaking a huge piece of research to understand what the organization needed. So I surveyed 4,500 colleagues across the business to understand their pain points and frustrations, their needs and opportunities around the use of tech in their daily lives. We then chose 120 of those colleagues who gave us the best cross-section of views, and we ran super deep interviews to drill into the survey feedback themes, to create problem statements with them, and to test some early hypotheses of what needed to be in our, our roadmap. This deep dive into the actual experience of the role of tech in WPP staff daily lives gave Rachel and her team the opportunity to find common themes among the workforce. They distill 4,500 individual experiences into a few personas to help inform the IT services redesign. We created nine personas and pen portraits of the day in their life to capture the variety of roles and needs across our 130,000 colleagues to help us humanize who we would design our new services for. And then we selected 40 colleagues who represented those personas and invited them to join us on a journey to co-create our IT vision services and roadmap. We didn't want to do that uh, ourselves uh, alone. Those colleagues were the start of our change ambassador network, who today continually help us gather feedback, test ideas, and land change well across our agencies. It's a simple tool distilling the day-to-day tech experiences of 133,000 colleagues across the globe and how they interact with technology throughout their days. And this is very consistent with the way we approach building product. And we anchor this from a user experience and center around who we're trying to serve. It does help. The type of roles that we had in our organization, what their daily lives looked like, what were their pain points and frustrations, what tools did they use, what outcomes were they driving, and where were the opportunities for us to enable them further, make them more productive with some of the the, the technologies and capabilities we were building. They were also really useful to play back to the business to demonstrate that we had heard them, we had deeply understood what they were looking for. And so we now use them as a, a sort of set of cards uh, to test any idea against. Would our creative sat in VMOYNR in Denmark, who sits on a laptop in a cafe, um, ideating ideas for a new pitch for a client, be able to use this new solution in the right way in that context? Uh, So it's been incredibly powerful to, to bring our teams closer to those they're building solutions for. And from the feedback, it was incredibly clear there was a huge opportunity to help our colleagues adopt and get the best out of technology, that we had to deploy technology to solve an actual problem, and that we had to be open to learning from some of the great things our agencies were already doing, and that we had to do a much better job of understanding the needs of our businesses, our colleagues, and our clients. These personas led to the initial shaping of Rachel's IT team and their priorities. So I made a promise to the organization that our new IT team would have three qualities. It would be human-centered, it would have a growth mindset, and it would be in service of our agency businesses, colleague needs, and client outcomes. We had to shift from being a transactional order taker to being an advisor and a thought leader who could really partner with them to deliver their strategic outcomes. And I realized that to be the right partner, I had to build the right leadership team from the outset who could build trust, 
who could live and breathe those three qualities and be an equal partner in strategic conversations with the business. The idea of a human-centered solution wasn't new to Rachel. I've been practicing human-centered design for over 15 years, um, and it's a set of techniques that came out of product design originally. Um, I was exploring its use within enterprise architecture when I was a chief architect, uh, and I got fascinated with how you could apply design techniques to designing technology services and it hadn't really been done before but I realized some of the 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 qualities and practices around divergent thinking around curiosity around really understanding the emotional and motivational model of the 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 users or colleagues you were designing for were, were just as critical for designing help desk service or a new application as they were for a new product you might buy on the high street. And so I I brought that into the heart of my leadership practice as I became more senior. And over my last three organizations, I've been experimenting with how to to train and coach people to use it. And every single time I've seen a service being launched that has been purposefully designed using these techniques. We've had net promoter scores in the high 40s, 50s, 60s and 70s. Um, Whereas normally you'd be lucky to to enjoy something in the low tens for, for an IT service. Whenever you see the question pop up on a scale from zero to 10, how likely are you to recommend this product or company to a friend or colleague? That's data a company uses for their net promoter score. And the journey that your team goes on, really engaging with the users of the service they're designing, just brings everybody on the change curve in a completely different way. So that change does actually land brilliantly because everyone's been brought on the journey already of what it will look like when it does land. As I looked at our journey ahead at WPP, I knew I had to build an incredible team. But I wanted to be very purposeful about how I did that. I didn't just want to go out and hire 10 individual brilliant technologists. To me, their technical skills would be a given. The success of our transformation to building trust with our colleagues would be their team dynamic, how they showed up for both our team and our partners and our colleagues together. I've worked with a personal coach for many years, and my current coach also happens to be a behavioral and organizational psychologist. So I started working with her to diagnose some of the non-technical competencies I would look for as I recruited the team. We landed on qualities such as high IQ, high EQ or emotional quotient, low ego, high collaboration, a high propensity for curiosity, and a bias for action, amongst other things. She helped me design an interview process that really tested if those qualities existed, particularly if candidates maintained them under pressure. And I've had the opportunity to work with Rachel and her team. And it's interesting, the way she interviews actually led to the team she wants. We see it in action every day. The way our team engages with us, they're very curious, they push us, but they partner at the same time. And they always anchor on the personas that they're trying to serve. And if you think about it, if you don't have empathy for who you're serving, how can you build a product that will delight them? And I think she's managed to nail that in our organization. We use a combination of tailored psychometric testing, scenario-based questioning, and then presentation topics. And once we found each individual, we looked at the team again that we were building and then tweaked and tuned our criteria to make sure we filled out any gaps that still existed with the remaining roles. And just as Rachel was finalizing her team and setting up the pre-emergent team building, COVID pandemic hit. 
I was also super conscious that we're in lockdown during the hiring and the onboarding process and we wouldn't actually meet in person for many, many months. So we designed a set of pre-immersion sessions before everyone joined us using Microsoft Teams to get to know each other. So through a series of fun activities, we learned how each other thought, what our values and motivations were, what energised and de-energised us, what we had in common and what our differences were. And then we distilled all of that down into what we call our big rules. These rules describe how we work together and interact as a team, how we show up collectively and how we want our team, our partners and colleagues to experience us. So in there are things like team first. That means we leave our badges at the door. Things like being bold, where we, we're brave and we experiment. We partner to accelerate our outcomes and we stretch each other's ambitions. Another one is no surprises. And that means we're transparent with each other about our status, our risks. We have the conversations we need to in the room, not outside the room. And we are very forward in asking for help where we might need it. We then shared those big rules with our teams and we gave them permission to call us out if they saw us falling short of them. And they do that to this day. That investment, I think, really accelerated our building our high trust environment with a high degree of safety and one where we all know that each of us is all in on making us successful as a whole. So what does this type of check look like in practice? Rachel tells us of a time our leadership team needed a gentle reminder of their big rules. We were looking at um, uplifting service experience around our digital workplace. And we were on calls talking about our partners as the brand name, as the, that team, as if they were other from us. They were separate to us. And one of our teams said, hey, you know, if, if we're here to solve this issue, they're just WPP. We're all the same team. We're all, this is a team sport. We're all on the same side. Let's stop trying to finger point at each other and apportion blame or accountability uh, and actually just be all in to, to be successful for, for WPP and our colleagues. And it was just a, a really great reminder on, on one call um, to, to really live and breathe our big rules. Intensive virtual pre-immersion sessions during COVID meant Rachel and her team were able to work together to build their group dynamic and relationships without meeting in person for over five months. Microsoft Teams was absolutely critical uh, in helping us facilitate a safe and collaborative virtual space for, for all this team building. Um, it was the only way we could come together across 11 different locations for our leadership team and around 30 locations for our game changers. And we used the features to the max to be able to react to content, to ask questions, make comments, split out into breakout rooms, uh, whiteboard the work we were doing, you know, run polls and seek feedback. And we also used the accessibility features. You know, we transcribed and recorded sessions so that we could refer back, catch up on anything anyone had missed uh, and contribute offline um, so that we could involve everybody, you know, have them follow and engage in the conversation in a really inclusive way. And then when we were running our design thinking sessions with the business, um, we had to create multiple breakout groups for the 120 people that were involved with us. And the, the Teams features really came into their own. You know, we use subtitling, translation and transcription. And that helps us engage a global audience in an inclusive way where English wasn't necessarily 
their first language. It took about five months um, to get through all the pre-emergent sessions. Um, and so by the time we met seven months in, um, all as a team in person, we felt like a really you know, close-knit group of friends that, that really deeply trusted each other. And, and just meeting physically was, was the last thing we did. We, we already felt like we'd been together um, for, for two or three years, actually. We massively accelerated our relationship building. It was fantastic. This is a huge value add, and Rachel always sticks to this. She checks herself and makes IT a business driver. She's really in service of her team. Rachel really felt this investment in relationship dynamics and peer support kick in when there was a significant operational incident. And the whole team just pitched in, but they did it in a way where they weren't just demanding status updates from their teams and sort of getting in the way and slowing things down with sort of upward communication. They were really there in service of their teams. They were there to get them what they needed, um, bring them resources, extra partnerships, extra licenses, even bring them you know, cookies in the middle of a meeting, feed them when we're working sort of 24 hours by seven. Um, and they were just really in service of getting the teams what they needed to quickly diagnose, fix and recover from the issue. And what was also lovely is that they were very conscious of checking in with each other on how each were doing with the, you know, the longer hours we were working and the extra pressure of the situation. Uh, people were actively asking for help when they needed it and just pulling that in. You know, egos were left at the door, badges were left at the door, and uh, we showed up in a year together in a, in a brilliant way. Another example was when Rachel and her IT leadership team got the opportunity to pitch their newly created IT vision and roadmap to the executive committee. And their feedback was that we showed up in a brilliantly joined up way. They couldn't believe we'd only been together for sort of six months. Um, we'd also, it was also recognized that we really understood and responded to the business needs and we pitched to them as well as they pitched to their clients. And I think both those moments were incredibly important proof points of how IT was showing up and partnering in a, in a radically different way. We knew we were on the right track. And it's not just a leadership and executive level that is seeing our team's capabilities. I think time and time again, we're seeing um, leaders further down in our team actually emulate and copy um, the behaviors and qualities we are relentlessly role modeling. So we're seeing people use the same language we do, the same sort of vocabulary, the way we're describing and reframing problems. We're seeing people come with a very different energy and curiosity around what our business actually needs. So there's a huge ripple effect. And we're also seeing our business um, lean in and ask us to get involved in spaces they never have before, asking for our advice, our thinking, and then even asking us to take on running services for them or platforms for them or take on leading a partner to, to do those things. So it's, yeah, it's had significant impact um, right across our organization. Investing in human-centered solution helps counter the resistance to technology adoption. If you understand your colleagues, your clients, and your users on a human level, you can tell the right solution that will naturally incline people to shift behavior, shift their ways of working, and even shift their mindsets. Suddenly, your culture and practices that trickle down from leadership deeply embeds the change you're trying to deliver. Rachel tells us about a program that grew out of the success of our IT leadership immersion program. 
our ways of working program came after our IT leadership immersion and after the team had built their senior teams and we started to welcome colleagues from across our agency teams into our new WPP IT organization. That felt like the right time to start to build familiarity with how we wanted to work as a new team with everyone. We wanted everyone to be able to work in a multidisciplinary way, bring deep business understanding together with experience design and technology solutions. So transforming our own ways of working was very much at the heart of our journey to reimagine IT at WPP right from the start. But we did realize that the ideas of design thinking and inclusive design were very new to the team. And so instead of kicking off a deep set of training on those practices, we actually broke it down. We decomposed them down into the core skills that underpin those two practices. And we introduced them through a set of fun, immersive, high energy sessions. We broke out qualities such as growth mindsets, effective inquiry, problem reframing, ideation, storytelling, agile fundamentals and facilitation. And we shared those through the core behavior sets and models, but we then quickly got the teams exploring real problems and working their way to solutions using those skills. At the end of the program, we ran a Dragon's Den style pitch session using the techniques our agencies use to pitch their work to our clients. And then the winner got uh, taken forward uh, into a, a delivery idea. So it was a brilliant way of embedding the learning. But most importantly, those new cross-functional squads who had never worked together before built new relationships that are incredibly valuable today as we work on our most critical programs. The first group to go through this eight-week immersive training experience was a carefully selected group of diverse colleagues from across the team. We chose 75 um, brilliant talented technologists to, to lead the way and become our game changers. To encourage them to apply their learnings day to day, we gave them small group and one-to-one -one coaching where they could share examples and feedback and inspire each other. The final element to the game-changing experience was building a community to reinforce the ways of working as a peer group and start to drive awareness and excitement about the program across our whole team. They were very gamified. We just used a sort of space theme. And everyone was dressing up and they had code names for squads and awards and prizes, you know, almost every half hour, it seemed. Um, but it, I think they just thoroughly enjoyed the, the experience of meeting colleagues they'd sort of heard names of for years, but never actually physically met or, or worked on a problem together with. And it was a very quick immersion in a skill and then rapidly moving to applying it. And so they could see the benefit really, really quickly. And you know, when I speak to, to, to our team who've, who've been through it, and actually I went through, through it as well, um, the time flew because it was incredibly enjoyable. It was incredibly purposeful and you could see outcomes uh, right away. You, you, could have, you could go the next day and start applying the practices in your daily work and they'd have an impact and you would feel that impact. So, uh, yeah, that rapid feedback loop um, was, was key. The game changers she's discussing, they come to us all the time with a very different way of thinking. They push us and we like it. We like engaging in that way. We'll lean in, we'll accelerate with them. We like thinking of things differently when we're pushed by them. It's welcome. So those first graduates, they became our game changers. 
And I think the combination of experiential learning, coaching and that community building had a real multiplier effect that sparked not just a training program, but actually sparked a movement. So our Game Changers went, then went on to deliver and coach the program across our broader team. And we now have over a thousand of our team trained uh, and now bringing different perspectives to problems. They're developing bold ideas. They're exploiting their growth mindsets to iterate and deliver human-centered solutions. And every day I see our team showing up with their new confidence a new curiosity and energy as they put their new behaviors into practice and see the impact they can have. Rachel calls the concept of simplicity or North Star, but it isn't always easy. Being human-centered in every situation uh, is is tough, actually. You know, our our training program is 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 large. It's wide. We've got many, many colleagues to train. Our transformation program is large in scale and fast in pace as well. And sometimes those are out of sync. So some of our most foundational, deeply technical projects hadn't gone through the training and were actually finding it really difficult to describe a human outcome for what they were doing. One great example was our cloud migration program, where our team are working with Microsoft to move and transform workloads to the Azure public and private cloud. And our cloud hub team were struggling to explain the benefits of the program to our business colleagues. They were relying on those usual cloud benefits that are spoken of, things like agility, resiliency, flexibility, you know, consumption-based charging. But it all felt a bit generic and uninspiring. You know, if you're a media planner or a creative designer or a production studio sound engineer, it just wasn't grabbing their attention. So we had to up our game. So we deployed our brand new change and adoption team who are brilliant human-centered design practitioners onto the program. And they undertook some research into the persona-based problem statements we'd researched at the very start of our transformation journey. They were able to pull out some of those problem themes and then test them with our change ambassadors to see if solving them through our cloud migration would actually resonate. And they did. So now we talk about unleashing creativity by using large compute power to render images in seconds. We talk about helping production colleagues share and collaborate on large media files from anywhere in the world. We talk about using the power of AI and machine learning to create differentiated services for clients from behavioral mapping to audience targeting for our media buyers. And we also link our cloud journey back to our core purpose of using the power of creativity to build better futures for our people, planet, client, and communities. We do that by having our sustainability story at the heart of the narrative. By shifting to the cloud, we're going to take around 60% of our IT carbon emissions out, and that's equivalent to saving you know, 1.5 million trees, which is kind of cool. I love the way of reframing. So your target users can actually connect, understand, and appreciate the tools and capabilities being discussed. Rachel is reframing the language of technology away from features towards real, tangible outcomes that people want. The sample problem statement would be a new client lead for um, a new account, trying to find uh, an expert on airlines in Denmark at three in the morning for a pitch the following day, and not being able to actually find that expert Um, because we didn't have the systems at the time to be able to connect, uh, record all our expertise, make that easy to find, make it easy to, to compare and contrast across the globe and pull teams together. 
but we're now building the, the underpinning capabilities to allow that to happen. I'm happy to hear that Rachel is able to occasionally reflect on the enormity of what she and her team have built and modeled through WPP. There have been so many moments, I think, where you know, we see the benefit of that human centricity. I mean, one of my favorites, though, was when our digital workplace team, who are currently piloting our next generation devices, they came to one of the uh, diversity and inclusion sofa chats that I was running on the topic of disability. And they really listened to and heard the challenges of our panelists who had a disability and the friction and barriers he had to overcome just to come into the office. So they got super passionate about that and have decided to remove as many of those barriers as possible. So the landing page of every new laptop we deliver now has a link to our new accessibility guide that helps everyone discover the accessibility features in Microsoft Office and Teams, helps them order adaptive equipment if they need it and get any additional support as well. As we launch our new vending machines in our campuses, they're making sure they're actually stocked with adaptive mice and keyboards too. And one of the teams said, you know, why should anyone have to fill in a form to get the kit they need? And that was definitely a moment when I realized that, yeah, they've got it. They, they really do understand this human centricity thing. <laughs> Rachel is now nearly two years on from that initial pre-immersion. And while a team dynamic is strong, she stresses that they are conscious about having a constant growth mindset. Now, we'll never be done. We constantly seek feedback on how we're doing from our team. We check in regularly with each other and as a whole team to see if there's anything we need to change or tune. And we think quite carefully about every quarter about what our portfolio of outcomes that we're going to deliver needs from us, you know, where we're going to focus in on, what will we dial up and dial down to ensure success. And we do the same now for our senior management team and our team more broadly. You know, only last week we pulled together our learning and development plan for the year. It was very much tuned to what we have to deliver this year for the team. And we've had some you know, fantastic outcomes um, that were proven through our colleague engagement survey. We've seen that our team's confidence has shot up by 74%. We've got a 22% improvement in our colleague satisfaction scores, and we've had an 80% growth in team trust, you know, doubling the number of our, our colleagues who are willing to come and share new ideas and try out new ways of working. So all our practices are, are really starting to, to, to build uh, a strong momentum. Engaging a behavioral organizational psychologist seems like such a wise yet timely investment for any company. Rachel strongly recommends it, especially if you are at the start of a big organizational company-wide change. I really recommend engaging a, a behavioral and an organizational psychologist. Finding someone you have chemistry with that can help you diagnose and define the leadership style, the culture, the values, those big rules and the ways of working you want to build is it incredibly powerful. If you invest the time and you really do need to invest time, you know, we spent weeks together on our team immersion. You know, our game changers spent weeks together deeply learning and practicing their new ways of working. Since then, our team have spent over a year putting them into practice So you have to be committed to devoting that time and energy, and then you have to be committed to relentlessly role modeling what you want to see. But if you do that and you're willing to put that work in, the results are astounding, and it's definitely worth it. 
I got to meet Rachel when she first started. And I have to be honest, I looked at her and I was like, oh my, she has a big challenge ahead of her. And I'm just in awe. I'm struck of how Rachel's leadership and all the work she's done is paying off. And all this from the foundation of trust on our team. I really believe trust is at the heart of human centricity. To deeply understand someone's needs and pain points and frustrations and what they're looking for for the future, you're doing some deep searching, actually. And you can only have those conversations if you build a safe environment, if you show up in the right way, um, if you're clear about the outcomes you're going to drive together. And and you've built, built a relationship uh, where there are you know, moments of, of truth that uh, both of you experience to know that you're on the right track. So uh, I, think, I think truth is at is the very, very heart of, uh, of any relationship, any transformation, any partnership you have with your clients, your colleagues, your, your team. I think what is interesting in this episode is we're seeing an individual who not only has to change the way a company thinks, operates and leverages technology, to then trying to understand how you serve very diverse groups of people with different interests and ask and requirements. And then at the same time, building a brand new team at the time when it's COVID and you can't even meet them face to face. This is really a fantastic example of how you think of driving change and being structured about it. And if you really reflect on this episode. The interesting piece is she's managed to make technology an added value to the company, an asset in the strategy they're pursuing. And in the process, she's satisfied more than 100,000 users. Thank you for listening to Pivotal. I'd love to hear your story and your Pivotal moment. So don't hesitate to follow me and share on LinkedIn. Audience information is also available in the show notes. Our show is produced by Large Media, that's L-A-R-J Media. Special thanks to Lin Yang and our partners at We Communications.